Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why do they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the uh, women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. The Iron Women Podcast is proud to be supported by Zelio Skincare. Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and Body Lotion. You can get 20% off at teamzelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios order with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. This is Alyssa, and as a triathlete, I am all about efficiency. That's why I'm excited that VeloFix is now a part of the Live Feisty community. VeloFix is North America's largest mobile bike shop fleet, and they know that your most valuable asset is time. VeloFix will meet you wherever you are at in your day so you don't miss a beat. Or if you have some time, you can hang out in the mobile bike shop and enjoy a complimentary cup of coffee to learn about the service being done. Interested? Here's how it works. Head to VeloFix.com or call 1-855-VELOFIX, set your appointment, and the local VeloFix technician will come directly to you. Book your service today using promo code FEISTY so they know you're an Iron Women listener. The first 100 listeners to book today using promo code FEISTY will receive a major tune for the price of a minor tune. Again, that's VeloFix.com and promo code FEISTY to enhance your bike service experience today. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. How's it going this week? Hi, Alyssa. I'm super excited to talk to you this week because you are really in race week. I mean, the week before the week long race, right? Because you have your your big race coming up. So tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling pretty prepared, actually. I will say that even though it's a six day stage race and there is a lot of preparation that goes into it, there are... It's still, I feel like, easier than getting ready for, you know, an Ironman or traveling for one or two triathlon races or something like that because there's just so much less gear still. And when you're going to be racing for six days and carrying everything, that really cuts down on the, like, other stuff that you're bringing because you don't need to pack six days worth of clothes or, like, think about any of that, which is normally part of what you're really thinking through when you're, like, packing for a big trip or something. So... I feel pretty prepared. I spent a lot of time this weekend getting my food ready, getting my pack ready, weighing that to double check. It kind of matched up with what I would think. Um, double checking my calories, going through the checklists, all of that. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty prepared and I'm in that phase where just a few little tune up workouts and mostly resting and getting my body like mentally and physically prepared for what is to come. So this is the Trans-Picos Ultra Race. It's happening in Big Bend State Park or National Park in State Texas? Park. State, State Park. Park. So yes. 
It's near El Paso, near the U.S. or the Texas-Mexico border, U.S.-Mexico border. And it, six days, like you mentioned, starts this Sunday, November 3rd. I hope I have my date right there. But, um, and, and you were kind of, this is interesting because you told me it starts with a 5K. Yeah, so Five kilometer running sprint race. <laughs> on Sunday, we do like the gear check and get to the race, kind of the start site, I guess, in the morning to early afternoon. And then in the afternoon is stage one, which is kind of like a prologue situation and it's a 5k. And so you are like camping out that night. You are making your own meals. Like it starts on Sunday afternoon with like, you have what gear you brought and that is all type of thing. Um, but it is, it's only a 5k for that do first you still day. Carry, do you still carry your pack? Are you sprinting a oh, 5k yeah. with your pack? They've been putting up a lot of, you can actually like the Trans Picos Ultra Facebook page, and they've been posting a lot of the bios for the athletes who are going um, and participating. And there are definitely a lot of people who are going for the experience and to make it through. And they encourage for sure with how they do the event that if you want to go do the miles in a hiking fashion, then you totally should and you can, and it's doable that way. So you obviously have to still be fit and in shape to hike the miles with the pack, right? But there are a lot of athletes who are doing it with that goal and you know being who I am and there is a prize purse at stake so you know I'm planning on racing and so I don't know still if you can call it a sprint but I've gotten you know my pace pretty good with the pack so I'm excited to just hopefully dial in that pace and I don't think my 5k will necessarily be faster than any of the other miles that I do over the week but um I because I think it's that like uh what's what's that kids thing the um turtle or the hare the turtle or the hare right <laughs> do you want to be the tortoise to, oh yeah the tortoise so i think i need to be the tortoise the desert tortoise in the, in the 5k and not kind of like go out go out heavy and then die off i would totally be the hare i would be that person <laughs> Prints off the line. Um, so is it in, in, so the different, the distances are different each day. I'm assuming they're not all five Ks. And, um, and is it always like point to point? Like you're always going from, you know, a start point and then making progress. Yeah. So it's not completely like a linear track, right? So you kind of squiggle around at some points and you might end up, you know, as the crow flies, not too far from where you started that day, but you will have traveled quite far to get there kind of thing. Um, and, but the days are, so it's a 5k on day one and then four days of about 42k, like a marathon type of distance. And then the last day, I don't know this in kilometers, but the last day is about 56 miles. So, um, the big day is at the end and the middle days are all just about the same length. So that might get a little bit, a little bit redundant, but you get to see, they take you through all different areas of the park and you get to see all these like features and just super, super old desert landscape. Um, and you know, there's actually some riverbeds out there, whether or not there will be water in them is kind of up to, you know, how much rain they have been getting and things like that. I hear you can't necessarily count on that, but a lot of different kind of terrain and geography that's desert like, I guess, which to be honest, I don't know much more than that, but I've seen some pictures. It looks really cool. Um, there's definitely, there's like a few good climbs. I think on day three, we have a climb that's like over three miles, you climb 1500 feet. So that'll be kind of something I'm more used to, like with the Blue Ridge mountains, the terrain that I've been training in kind of thing. So I'm excited. I hear there is like a lot of kind of up and down and just really vast views. And the sky is supposed to be really cool because there's nothing out there. So the stars are supposed to be something that like, that's what people I think often go to that park to see. Do you know about how many people are competing? Do you, you know, I actually don't. I don't think it's very many. I want to say it's probably there's a four-day event and a six-day event. And I want to say there's about 30, but I could be totally off. So someone would have to fact check so me on that. You might be by yourself you at times. You're probably not like in a big crowd running. So you're going to get some like solo time. Is, is it, you mentioned your luxury items last week, your flip-flops and your inflatable pillow. Did you come up with a third? And, and do you bring your phone like as like either from, you know, I don't know if you can like download stuff and have music, if you can recharge it or take photos while you're out there or are you like all business, no photos? So you can't, you can take your phone. You won't have service to do much with it, but if you want it to take photos, I think that's fine. 
Um, there are like time penalties if people have satellite phones for like excessive, you can't take calls or anything on a satellite phone. That's not allowed if like somehow you had a satellite phone, but I guess satellite phones, I've never seen one. I guess you can do text on that. And I guess they kind of say like, you can do text, but you really like shouldn't. And I guess if like that deems necessary, they can give you a time penalty. Like if you're overdoing that you know, and kind of like showboating it, I would imagine. Right. Cause they just don't want the atmosphere to be like, Oh, this one person has a satellite phone and they're communicating and their children are learning to pogo stick today. Right. And everyone's going to be like, man, I wish I could talk to like my dog or something, you know? So like, <laughs> I think, so generally it's frowned upon, but I do think they want you to be able to take pictures. Um, I will, I plan to bring my phone in my pack for pictures and hopefully maybe do like a video update to save and then post afterwards um, of each day so that you guys can kind of see the evolution of that. And so I have a terrible memory usually. So I want to be able to remind myself of those things along the way. So, but I can't recharge it. So I have to be mindful, I guess, of my battery life while I'm out there. But my luxury items, Haley. So as I was practice packing, I realized I was trying to keep myself to three luxury items and that went out the window pretty quick. But I, I still think these are all things I will use and it's necessary even though it's by most stage racing standards they would be considered luxury items so I am going to bring an iPod shuffle just in case things get like really deep and dark on the, on those last few days and I am solo a lot a little right? bit of Taylor Swift can bring you out of the darkest moments all you need is like some like shake it off playing in your ears and all of a sudden it's like gives you life right right yeah and a shuffle is like I still have one even though they're not made anymore and so that's super light I feel good about that and then I'm bringing chapstick which I think should be like a mandatory thing for running that long in the desert and I would then... just use chamois cream <laughs> Okay, go ahead. That's a good luxury. Ultra, ultra light Haley over there. And then I'm bringing one pair of extra socks. So I'm bringing, I wear like toe socks often when I'm doing long adventures like this. And so I'm bringing on the long trail, my legs blew up so much by like the fourth or fifth day that I was wearing these toe socks, like in gingy um, compression socks. So I'm bringing a pair of that extra in case I need, in case like my leg, my cankles start to come after like three days or something like that and I, it might be nice to like hang out and camp in those a second pair of socks are considered a luxury most yes. people only bring one pair of socks for six it days. sounds that way I mean the things I'm reading it definitely sounds that way and along those same lines I am bringing an extra pair of shorts because I just feel like that's gonna feel so good on like towards the second half to put on like a fresh pair of shorts for a day and to be able to have that, like, as luxurious as it might seem, um, it might be, like, a creature comfort, I guess, to some people. But I think that's necessary um, just for, like, my own my own well-being. Well, I, I will miss you next week. So anyone who does tune in next week, everyone should be tuning in next week. It will be me flying solo, but we'll have a great interview for you um, still. And then Alyssa will be back in two weeks. But it's only like you're only gone for one week. But um, and then you'll be able to tell us all about this adventure at the Chance Picos Ultra six day stage race in Texas. And hopefully we'll be celebrating a excellent race. And Haley, at the end of last week's episode, hopefully everyone was still listening in because we dropped some news on what race you're doing next. So you are racing the California International Marathon coming up in December. So how are things going over there? I feel like this is probably towards the peak of marathon training with that timing. So I assume you're you're running a lot. Yeah. So that race is December 8th and it is 26.2 miles all done on a single day. And um, in uh, Sacramento, California. So um, I get to, I, I too will only wear one pair of socks. <laughs> and one but, pair um, of shorts, hopefully. <laughs> I know, hopefully. If I'm wearing more than one pair of shorts, then something has gone wrong. But no, training's going very well. Um, I imagine my days are a little shorter than yours, but I do not carry a pack and maybe go a little bit faster. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. This is basically running a marathon while also doing triathlon training is basically the antithesis of every piece of advice I give to my athletes. I'm, I'm kind of anti running a marathon while you're still doing triathlon. I just, I find it's, you know, there's an injury risk. It's hard to balance things, 
but you can always learn new things, right? And so I am throwing my conventional wisdom out the window and I'm going to go do it. And, and the reasoning is that I am trying to qualify for the Olympic trials time standard, which is a sub 245 marathon. And a big part of that is because Olympic trials are happening in February in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta is a place that is near and dear to my heart. I lived there for 10 years. A lot of my friends are there. It's where I started running, you know, really running marathons, doing triathlons. And the chance to, to race there is very appealing to me. And I don't know if I'll make it, you know, 245 is, is going to be a really big ask and, there is some strategy in doing CIM. I mean, it's, it's a net downhill course. It usually has really good weather. So that that's why I'm doing that race. And honestly, I I'm really enjoying this new challenge. Like it's just such a different thing for my brain to be going after a time, which is again, something I really discourage my athletes from doing. You know, when we're talking about triathlon, we're talking about Ironman. So much can happen on race day that I'm always like, throw the times out the window. And yet here I am running a marathon, going for a time. And I'm enjoying the difference. I mean, it's something I haven't done in 11 years and it's, it's kind of fun. And marathons are so like, I, so I'm not necessarily a proponent or a not a proponent of doing that during triathloning. I've mixed them in from time to time, but I, I mean, my last one, I think I did in an open format was 2015. And it is because, you know, you don't want to do them necessarily every year and be going after these like lofty time goals because it does, it's, it'll take a little bit of a toll to just recover from and things like that. But I think what I found is that like the mental side, just like what you're saying, having to switch things up and really work in a different fashion and challenge yourself in that way, I think gets you like huge gains to take over to triathloning afterwards. So I have no doubt that this will set you up for, you know, some just like a different perspective maybe as you return back to triathloning after that. But I'm excited because I love watching people run marathons really fast and 245 is super, super fast. And so I will be, hopefully they have some good coverage. I feel like CIM has been getting a lot of like, um, what's the word? not propaganda, but like excitement around it because last year they had so many women who were going for that trial standard. And it's just become like a very, as you said, like a favorable place to do it. And there's that kind of camaraderie around it now. So hopefully there's like a way to track it easily and maybe even like see some live feed action or something like that. I don't know. It's a marathon. So I'll try and pick you out of the thousands, but um, it'll be exciting for me while you're out there running. I'm excited for you to do this. Thanks. Yeah. And I think I should be in good company. I know there are quite a few other pro pro triathlon women who are running CIM. I mean, we mentioned Liz Bauer last week. I think Jackie Herring has said she's also going for the trials cut. Ruth Brennan Mori, both, you know, are women that we've had on this on this podcast going for their trials cut. So it's it's not unheard of. I mean, ju- people we've like, this is not even a new idea. I think we've talked to Julie Moss tried to get a Olympic trials cut. I think when she was racing in her prime, Sally Edwards, I believe did race in the Olympic trials. I don't know which I should know which year, but I don't know. So it's, this isn't unheard of. It's not necessarily new territory, but it is new for me. And, and that is when you've been doing a sport for 11 years, it's kind of cool to have something new and refreshing and just something totally different. Although I will say, even though there's less total hours of training and running, this is giving me more respect for, for runners because running does wear you out. So I don't know, you are on a whole other level because I'm thinking about that. I'm like, wow, Alyssa's probably running like 30 hours a week. And I'm like, I would die. <laughs> I'm not running 30 hours a week. Okay, that makes me feel better. That makes me <laughs> feel better. Busted there. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, Haley, so happy Halloween to everyone too. So this is coming out on Halloween, which means, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. This episode is coming out on <laughs> Halloween. So hopefully everyone's listening to it like in the morning and then they're getting ready for all their Halloween parties yes. that evening. And, and we have only a matter of hours left for the Zelios promotion that we talked about last week. So currently Zelios is doing a 30% off with code IRONWOMEN off of everything on the site at teamzelios.com. And so 30% off, it only lasts for a few more hours if you are listening on Halloween. So make sure you stock up on your body products, your chamois, chamois cream, sunscreen, all that good stuff. And Alyssa, I heard we have a mailbag question this week. We do, Haley. So we have a question that came in from Emily and great question. So she recently raced um, Ironman Louisville and 
what happened at Louisville was that the swim was canceled. And so she heard that it was canceled because of the water um, condition, I guess. And she heard that the condition of the water had actually been really bad for months before the race and that Ironman knew about that. But basically, they still, you know, had everyone fly in and put their money and effort and all of that into this race that was not going to have a swim. Um, And, you know, she's saying like, hey, if I had known that I'm a swimmer, this is like my best thing. I would actually have picked, you know, a different race to go to kind of thing, Um, which makes total sense because, you know, you want sometimes to be able to capitalize on your strengths, right? So she's wondering if we think Ironman owes it to the participants to be more transparent about things like water quality issues when they know them in advance. Yeah, this is an interesting question. So first, my first reaction was kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit, but because I was like, well, maybe they only canceled it right before so that people could still qualify for their pro cards because when we asked USAT earlier about what happens if a portion of the race is canceled, like can people still qualify for their pro cards? And they think they said if it was like 24 hours in advance, then it didn't affect that. However, there was no pro race in Louisville this year, so there was no pro qualification either. So throw that that like uh, generous philosophy out the window. My take, my opinion on this is that there's a difference between a kind of ethical wrong and a legal wrong. And I think legally, Ironman can do whatever they want. You know, they are a for-profit corporation. You know, they are not a government. They are not a public service. They're not even a not-for-profit. So they can kind of do whatever they want. Ethically, I probably wouldn't have taken that, um, that path. Um, but that's my own, my own kind of moral standards. I would probably have been a little more transparent, but again, I have, I've never directed a race. I don't know the pressures and, oh, I mean, I just, it sucks. I'm a swimmer too. I mean, I don't love it when the swim gets canceled, but my, my personal opinions are that safety has to trump any kind of anything you're doing in sport. And if it wasn't safe to be in the water, I would rather that than to get into the water and risk getting, you know, really sick. That said, I mean, I guess when you're picking races, you kind of can try to pick races that have less of a history of, of a canceled swim. It's hard. I don't know if that, that might've been the first time the swim has been canceled in Louisville. I think last year it was shortened, but I think it was for totally different reasons. So we talked to Liz Bauer last week about climate change. And I think this is one of the, the side effects of climate change is that it makes it really hard to plan for races and race directors are just, they're doing the best they can. Yeah. I remember in 2009 at Ironman Louisville, which was my first Ironman, it was like a joke how bad the water quality was. And I feel like it was just 10 years ago, people weren't taking things seriously. So now that we are more aware of things and taking them seriously, um, you know, you are getting, obviously we're seeing more races with things like canceled swims and that sort of thing. So, and again, for, to Haley's point from a safety perspective, I think, you know, there, there is the right thing to do to keep people safe and healthy and we should go with that. But, you know, keeping in mind, like Haley said, it's a for-profit business and there's nothing stopping you, I guess, you know, from that same angle of being in touch with whatever public resources. Um, you know, I, I don't even know where you would necessarily begin, but I would try Google and maybe you could call the city or the whatever and talk to someone about water quality in a place and really try and just, you know, do your own little investigation ahead of time if you wanted to. Um, historically, you know, asking around if you were in a local tri club or something like that, just like to get the background information on things that, you know, generally people kind of know, I guess some are more likely to be questionable and or canceled than others. So I guess just, you know, if you really want to be safe in the future, picking a race schedule that has historically full races, but that is hard, like with, with climate change and everything, it's hard to do that a hundred percent, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ironman necessarily owes it to participants as a for-profit business, unfortunately. I know. It is a hard one because, like you said, I don't know who exactly you'd complain to. I mean, you can put it out in the public like you are. And I do think races do face a little bit of backlash when they cancel swims frequently. And we've seen some races that go away because people don't necessarily want to do a duathlon. Or if they want to, they'll go sign up for a duathlon. So 
there is, you know, I'm sure they are feeling the sting there in Louisville and, and you can still kind of vote with your dollars and not spend them in Louisville again. Um, though I think it is a, still a fantastic race and hopefully they get that algae under control for, for various reasons, um, for beyond just race day. And Haley, we do have an interview for everyone today. So we are talking to Ellie Salthouse, who is an Australian professional triathlete. And she's been racing 70.3. So she started kind of in the ITU draft legal circuit. Um, But in 2016, she transitioned over to the non-drafting 70.3s. And since then has racked up 17 Ironman 70.3 podiums, um, not in counting any challenge races that she's done. And she's done quite a bit of those too. So she has had some very recent success when she won just last weekend at Ironman 70.3 Kakimbo in um, Chile. And very recently as well in September, she was first at Ironman 70.3 Cozumel. Um, this is both coming off of a disappointing 70.3 World Championship where she talks to us about what happened there how she finished that race, overcame things. Um, we also talked to her a little bit about being a part of Team Sirius with Siri Lindley. So a lot of good conversations as Ellie graciously took time. She's on um, a little bit of a lull with training and she's down based in Peru right now. Um, looked quite nice as she kind of was sitting in the, in the city and, and chatting with us. And we really appreciate hearing from Ellie next. This is Haley. And I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Earlier this year, our sponsor, Wahoo Fitness, did a huge giveaway here on the podcast. We caught up with Jen Matro, who won the Element Bolt bike computer. Jen. It's been a few months since you won our Wahoo Fitness sweepstakes. How has life been since you became a Wahooligan? Alyssa, is it weird to say that I love my bike computer? The Element Bolt does it all. I can see any metric I need, power, distance, cadence, but I have to say that my absolute favorite feature is how you can enter a destination into the phone app and it will instantly create a route to guide you there with the Bolt. I used that a lot in Nice when I was there for the 70.3 World Championships. Thanks, Jen. We love hearing your feedback. If any of our listeners want to give the bike trainers, bike computers, and heart rate monitors that make up the Wahoo Fitness ecosystem of products a try, head to wahoofitness.com. Hi, Ellie. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. So huge congratulations on back-to-back and I believe wire-to-wire race wins at Ironman 70.3 races in Cozumel, Mexico and Coquimbo, Chile. You are originally from Australia, but it seems like the Latin American races are working out really well for you these days. Yeah, thank you. I've had quite a, quite a good run here in South America. Um, I really enjoy racing over here. My boyfriend, Andres, is actually from Peru. So uh, I like being over here in South America. I'm feeling quite at home. And um, yeah, I mean, we had I had two great races. And uh, I was really looking to put out some good races after my disappointment at Worlds. So yeah, it's been good to come away with two wins. And Ellie, given your recent wins at races like Cozumel challenged Cancun earlier this year and Los Cabos 70.3 in 2018, it might be easy to assume that you do really well in like really hot conditions. That's what a lot of people would think of right in, in South America, but Coquimbo being just North of Santiago is pretty far South and it's probably just starting to turn spring there. So race day actually looked a little cool. Do you think that you race better in hotter temperatures or are you just kind of ready for anything? I definitely race better in hotter conditions. I think growing up in Australia, I'm used to the hotter conditions um, as opposed to the cold. Um, I actually really don't like the cold and I wasn't expecting Coquimbo to be so cold. Um, it was probably one of the coldest swims I've ever done, but the weather actually wasn't too bad apart from the water. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer the warm weather, but I have to be good at racing both. You can never really control the weather. Um, so I, I try and be prepared for whatever, whatever comes. And we mentioned both of your recent races being wire to wire wins where you led the swim, the bike and the run. Do you like being in the lead all day like that? Or would you prefer some company early in the race or maybe even someone to chase? No, I prefer to race off the front. Um, for me, the, the further off the front I can get, the more confidence I gain. So I really like to race off the front. Um, and I like knowing that I'm putting time into the people behind me. Um, there's nothing worse than racing up the front and finding out that you're being caught, which is what happened in Cozumel, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I prefer racing off the front um, and just racing my own day without having others around me, um, without that added pressure of, of people around me. And as an athlete that focuses on the 70.3 distance, you're able to race quite a bit. And you definitely capitalize on that with your training and racing kind of all over the world and getting to races quite frequently. But I imagine that that does catch up to you sometimes. So I think like this year, you weren't able to start at Vietnam 70.3 because you came down ill um, once you got to the race site. So kind of a, a twofold question here. Like first, do you have any go-tos that you use to stay healthy with all the travel and the time zone swaps while you're racing hard? And then the second part of that is making that decision not to race when you're sick. I think that's something that like people really struggle with as athletes. And, you know, it's, it's even hard, like in, in coach from a coaching standpoint to help an athlete navigate that. So how did you make that decision? Yeah, I think for me, um, this year has been a bit of a learning curve for me. I, um, I did a lot more international travel than I typically do. And I think it really caught up with me in the middle of the year, um, May, June, I pretty much took two months off of training with sick. So yeah, I, I, that was a disappointing time for me. Um, and I'm really trying to eliminate the cross world travel next year. So I'm basing myself more, uh, where the race circuit will be. Um, so I really, I learned that the, the hard way this year, uh, but yeah, as far as making the call not to race, that was really difficult in Vietnam, but I was sick actually flying to the race and I knew that I probably wouldn't race, but I, I, I didn't want to stay back in Boulder and then get better and, and not have the chance to race. Uh, so of course I flew, um, and as the race got closer, I got more and ended up in hospital and that was when Siri uh Siri and I decided that uh there was definitely going to be no race but it was really nice that I went because I was able to to be in the commentary box and I was still able to feel like a part of the race and the atmosphere and and the organizers really looked after me um and made sure I still had opportunity to be a part of the event um so yeah I mean Siri Siri really helps me when I'm making a decision like that because you know, every athlete wants to be out there on race day um, and no athlete wants to pull the pin before it's even began. And that's Siri Lindley, your coach that you're referring to, right? Yes, exactly. Not my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be so easy if all we needed was our iPhone to tell us today you race, today you don't. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey Siri, yeah. what training do I have? Yeah, maybe it's good that humans are <laughs> still needed for some things. But yeah, that is, like Alyssa exactly. said, that is a tough decision. And it sounds like you made the right one because now you're back healthy, you know, ready to race. But I do want to go back to, to, to the race in Chile because it happened on the same weekend that saw a start to the historic protests of the Chilean government and the country's income inequality that have happened over the past week. Um, I believe you're, you said you're in Lima, Peru right now, but did you see any of the protests in Chile and did they affect race day or your post-race travel at all? Yeah, so unfortunately, um, it happened, well, fortunately for us, it happened uh, the Saturday night. Everything started to, to, to turn pear-shaped. Uh, luckily, we raced Saturday, um, and we actually flew from Santiago to Coquimbo uh, on, on the Thursday. So we were fortunate that we, we missed all the madness in Santiago, luckily. Um, but it did filter to La Serena, which is right next to Coquimbo, where we were staying um, by Sunday. Um, so unfortunately, the other races uh, as part of the event, the sprint distance and the Olympic distance races were cancelled on Sunday morning. 
um, and a lot of people were affected uh, in their travel. Um, I know Sarah Piampiano had a, a night in Santiago due to her flight's been cancelled, and I know of a few others who had similar situations. But luckily, flying back to Peru, Andres and I had no problem. Um, the actually the only flight out of La Serena that that Tuesday was our flight, so we were very lucky um, to be on that. But yeah, we did try and explore some of uh, some of the town on Sunday after the race and unfortunately we saw a lot of there was some fires and broken windows and you know protests and the military walking around so it was very confronting to see that um but yeah I'm glad we weren't we weren't around to to experience the brunt of it in Santiago and Ellie, we also want to go back um, a month or two now to your race in early September at the 70.3 World Championships. It seemed like that race was a big focus for you and for the year. You had traveled to Nice early and you spent at least a month training on the course and really doing your homework. You were putting some updates up on Instagram and stuff for people to kind of follow along. And then on race day, you set yourself up for a really good day with a super solid swim that put you in the front of the race, headed out on the bike. And just 10K into the ride, things kind of started to unravel because your electronic shifting stopped working. Can you talk us through that day and tell us how and why you managed to finish that race? Yeah, so that was probably still one of the, the hardest things I've had to deal with as part of my career. Um, I was the fittest I've ever been standing on that start line. I was so confident and so ready to, to go. I had no doubts in my mind that I could be on that podium um, by the end of the day and yeah we went to Nice six weeks earlier um, we had ridden the course more than 20 times the downhill probably 30 to 40 times uh, we were so prepared and yeah I mean 10k on the bike um, after a great swim unfortunately my shifting started to shift itself and all of a sudden it just cut out and I was forced to ride in a well we tried to fix it and the only solution ended up being taking the batteries out of my electronic shifting um so that was unfortunate i ended up having to ride the rest of the course in a single gear and no intention to blend in with the crowd and, and make my way to my hotel but um i came in with another pro woman and I kind of thought to myself that it would be really disrespectful of me not to finish the race, having come in with somebody who's obviously still, you know, racing, doing that, having their day. So I went out on the run and, and decided that I would just make the most of it anyway. And I knew I was in great run form. Um, so I wanted to go out and I was quite angry and upset with the situation. I wanted to have my best run um, that I could put out. Uh, given the situation. And that's what I did. And Ellie, I'll, I'll, as someone who, who saw you on that bike course, I, I remember seeing you a little bit ahead and I was like, wow, I think she rides at like 200 RPMs. I'm like, that's amazing. And then I was like, oh wait, no, something is wrong. <laughs> so um, I thought maybe you had the secret, you know, the secret to your cycling is that you can have this insanely high cadence, but, but I, I admired you for finishing that race. I know that, you know, when I saw you out on the run course and, and I realized that you had made it through that bike course in only a single gear. I, I had major respect for you for, for getting through it and for then going out on the run course. I think that was very admirable. Well, thank you. Maybe I should start telling people that 200 RPMs is the secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do want to highlight your swim and run splits in Nice because I think you were your third or fourth out of the water, just one minute behind swim leader Lucy Charles and a few seconds ahead of eventual race winner Daniela Reef. And your 118 run split was in the top five of the day. So was seeing your swim and your run at truly world-class levels any consolation for the trouble on the bike? Yeah, thank you. Um, I was very pleased with my swim. I knew I was in great swim form, um, but that was probably the one part of the race I was actually most nervous for. You never really know, especially with an ocean swim, uh, what's going to happen out there. So to come out with the lead group, aside from Lucy, obviously, uh, the lead chase group um, and only 45-ish seconds back from Lucy was um, a huge mental boost for me. 
Um, so I was really happy with that. And then obviously to have my fastest ever run, I was stoked with that considering I was quite a way back off of, off of where I should have been and after what had happened on the bike. Um, so, yeah, I was really pleased with it aside from that. But, I mean, there's still that huge disappointment um, for me. And, yeah, I mean, even still now talking about it, it's it's really hard to, to – it's a hard pill to swallow when you know going into it that you've done everything you can to have one of your best races and then something out of your control – happens and and takes that away from you. And so it sounds like this wasn't something, you know, preventable, but we always try and give our listeners a little takeaway if they can learn from our mistakes as professionals. So was there anything you think you could have done to, you know, check the bike or do before race day or anything that you will do differently going forward to make sure this isn't happening again? Or, you know, we always say like, best of mechanical luck to people when they're going racing. Cause it is, there is obviously that element of luck a lot of times when we are relying on our bicycles. Right. Yeah. I used to be a big believer when people told me that good luck before a race, I kind of was like, Oh, you know, like it's not about luck, but now I'm going to be more willing to accept people's good luck uh, messages before a race. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely learned that. Um, I think you've got to check all your gear before. I mean, I, I, rode the bike the the morning before the race and it was perfect um yeah I mean I I couldn't have known that anything was going to go wrong um in that race but the one thing maybe I could have done is um to wrap all my shifting and my um my batteries and that kind of thing uh while while sitting overnight in transition um with the rain that night I think maybe that could have contributed to what happened um it ended up being a faulty blip um that I found out a few weeks later when I, when I tried to get it fixed. Um, so I don't think there would have been too much that I could have, uh, changed, um, when something goes wrong like that. But yeah, I mean, who knows the rain could have caused it and maybe wrapping my, my, my batteries, um, and my blips could have assisted with, with helping, uh, could have helped with that, but who knows, you know, it's kind of a shoulda, woulda, coulda situation. (laughs) And, and Ellie, we, we asked these next question, this next question, not, not to be big downer, but to kind of show how much you've overcome because we talk about how many wins you have, but I believe you missed the 2017 world championships due to a leg injury. So, so now that we see you're running 118 on a very less than perfect day, you've won two races since then with fantastic run splits. So I'm just curious, like, is there anything that you've changed since 2017 to make yourself not only a faster runner, but an overall healthier runner? Yeah. Um, I think 2017 was a real low for me. Um, it was an injury that I, nobody could really work out and, get a diagnosis which meant I couldn't really make a plan to um but yeah I mean for me if I learned nothing else other than um taking care of the one percenters is probably the biggest thing I've I've taken away from that injury and that year um I got a little complacent I had an incredible year in 2016 um my first year racing 70.3 and I did get complacent with maybe the little things um you know massage body work strength and conditioning those kind of things um which may or may not have contributed to the injury. No, still to this day, nobody really knows what causes uh, a hamstring tendinopathy. But um, yeah, I mean, now since the injury, I've been uh, so diligent with taking care of body work and doing strength work three times a week and just little things like that and my nutrition and, and all those little things that keep me healthy and keep my body working for me. And Um, I think if you, if you give the body what it needs, um, and take care of it, it's going to take care of you in the long run. I like that. I think that's something to, to remember for sure. And that's pretty wise actually, because I believe that you are 26 years old right now, which is fairly young for our sport, but you were winning youth ITU races a decade ago at age 16 and 17. So your last ITU race was in May of 2015 And Haley and I are not super familiar with the Australian Olympic team qualification processes um, by any means, but it would seem that you had, would have been in the running for the 2016 or 2020 Australian Olympic team. So what led you to kind of shift gears from that draft legal racing to the 70.3? Yeah. 
I, I, I wouldn't say I was really in the running for an Olympic team. Um, I just didn't have the speed that was required. And uh, once we got word that the Olympics was potentially changing to a sprint distance, that was kind of where my attention shifted. <laughs> uh, I wasn't. I knew I wasn't really fast enough to keep up with those girls, particularly um, a lot of the ITU races come down. Well, before Flora, uh, a lot of them came down to. Uh, a running race and I, I just didn't have the speed in my legs um, and I wasn't I wasn't achieving the results that I wanted to achieve as well um, consequently I wasn't making a living out of the sport and you know I put a lot of additional stresses in my life um, trying to be a professional athlete trying to trying to juggle finances work all that kind of thing um, so that's when I I decided that uh I spoke to Siri actually, and I told her that I wanted to leave the sport and I wanted to work and just basically pursue other avenues. And she was the one who told me I should try 70.3 just for one year and, uh, and see what would, uh, what would happen. And so I did. And was she coaching you at that time or was she, were you kind of like just seeing if she would coach you? Yes. Yeah, I started with Siri in 2014. So she coached me for two years uh, racing ITU. And uh, at the end of 2017 was when she suggested that I uh, I try a half. Wow. And and we've seen, you know, Siri Lindley is a legendary triathlete and coach. And we've seen her squad, you know, her elite squad change over the years and it's changed location. It's kind of changed the team makeup. There's been more draft legal athletes. There've been more long distance athletes, but can you tell us a little bit about the current training environment with the team serious professionals? Yeah. So I've definitely been around now for all of those changes. Um, we used to have a large squad of predominantly female athletes, predominantly long course. And then for a while we had a lot, a, a, a squad predominantly of short course athletes. Um, and now a lot of what Siri does is online. So we travel a lot more and we can base ourselves away from Siri a lot more. And we typically go to Boulder for three or four months um, in the summer um, and see her probably once or twice a week. But most of what we do now is, is online. So there's less of the squad atmosphere but um yeah I mean there's still uh 10 or 15 professional athletes and we still you know see each other for camps every once in a while um we still all talk outside of outside of training and outside of being in the same place um but yeah it's still predominantly long course but we have a good mix now of males and females and yeah we're dispersed all over the world (laughs) And Ellie, we think that you're continuing your Latin America tour this weekend as you head to the 70.3 South American Championships in Buenos Aires. Do you have any plans to take a break after that? Or it sounds like you maybe took some time off kind of mid-year. So do you plan to keep things rolling just in the Southern Hemisphere summer? Um, I'm actually not racing Buenos Aires. (laughs) Um, I've decided I had to take my um, off-season early. So I've actually had a week of doing nothing, which has been really nice after Coquimbo. And um, I think I might finish my season as more of a fun race in Laguna Phuket, um, 25th of November. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I'll take a good month or so off after that um, through Christmas, spend some time in Australia with my family. Um, And then I'll probably be in Australia till the end of March, early April before uh, before I start my season again. Uh, most likely with Oceanside at uh, the start of April. Well, we thank you for giving us a little bit of your precious off-season time. We will let you get back to that R&R and hopefully, you know, continuing to in- kind of bask in the glory of how you sort of ended your season with that one fun race left in Thailand. But thank you so much, Ellie, for coming on the show. And we'll be looking forward to following you in 2020. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport Watermelon Flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance Lemon Lime Flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. 
That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Well, Haley, I think it's pretty rare that Iron Women podcast has such breaking news that Ellie Salthouse will not be racing this weekend at the South American 70.3 championships, but she will be heading to Laguna Phuket later in the month, um, which is actually, if I was ever to race short course professionally as a professional, I think that's one I might actually just try and go see how I could do at. Personally, I loved racing in Buenos Aires, but... I haven't been to Thailand. I've never been to Laguna Phuket, so maybe she made the right choice. I don't know. She definitely deserves a break. Uh, Big thanks to Ellie for coming on the show. It's a well-earned break, and Buenos Aires will be there next year. All right, Haley. Well, keep running those miles. I will make sure to send you the tracking link so you can send me while I'm running through. Track me while I'm running through the desert and keep everyone posted next week when you're flying solo about exactly how I'm doing. Alyssa, good luck. I will definitely be keeping everyone posted and have a fun time in the desert. Run hard. Be the tortoise. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production.